the drunkard, the romantic, the lecher, the political opponent, anyone or anything incongruent with a security officer's puny and punitive vision was what they sought to weed out. Before long, however, most people learned how to safely negotiate their way through this inquisitional labyrinth. Illicit lovers never travelled together, political activists rarely rode around at night, and those who had imbibed at a party would freshen their breath by chewing on a cucumber or some parsley before setting out. By the time Parviz and I arrived at the airport, there was already a line at the entrance to the terminal. We quickly said farewell. We both had a long night of waiting ahead of us. Parviz had to make sure that I and his paintings would clear customs. In those days there was no clear or predictable policy on who or what could leave the country. The whim of each official was the law of the moment. What they deemed appropriate was what one could take along. All else had to be left with the authorities for safekeeping, or returned to a waiting relative or friend. Anyone even remotely familiar with the ethics of the Iranian bureaucracy opted for the latter, thus Parviz's wait. The line through customs was agonizingly slow. Every piece of every passenger's luggage was inspected. Often a suspicious item— a backgammon board or a bulky frame was dismantled lest there be inlays of gold, jewellery, or foreign currency. The last time I had gone through this line, about two years earlier, my son, Hamid, then only six, and his teddy bear of the same age, named Fatso, were also with me. Tired and tense from a long, sleepless night punctuated only by short naps on our luggage or against one of my feet, Hamid held his bear in a tight embrace— a young man of about eighteen stood behind the inspection table. His long-sleeved, baggy cotton shirt hung loosely over his trousers. As with women, so with men, no curvature of the body should, according to Islamic rules, protrude from beneath any article of clothing. His beard was scissors-trimmed. Orthodox Islam deems the roll of a naked blade on a man's face a frivolous pleasure, and Islam has no tolerance for frivolity. The young man glanced at the bear and said coldly, that bear cannot go. My appeals were of no avail, but Hamid's burst of tears and his unrelenting weeping finally softened the young man's heart. He merely slit the throat of the animal and poked through it, and then, to my son's relief, allowed Fatso to come along. Afterwards a friend in the United States stitched up the wounded neck, yet the bear's proud upright gait was forever compromised. As I waited in line, this time lonely and forlorn, I was aware that many of those leaving Iran that night had no intention of returning. They had to carry with them as many amenities of future life and as much memorabilia of their emotional past as they could. Yet extreme caution was more necessary. Save a few exceptions, most of these soon-to-be émigrés and exiles had no immigration visas from their countries of destination. They had to feign a short trip for leisure or business. Their luggage would become one of their devices of deception. If the contents of a bag suggested a permanent stay instead of a short sojourn, the authorities at the airports of destination could revoke even the visitor visa so diligently attained by the Iranian traveller. The old man in front of me finally reached the inspection table, behind which loomed a tired ogre face in a drooping suit. The contents of the man's luggage were all spilled onto the table, pictures of his son, underwear, a few shirts, a crumpled suit, a pair of pyjamas and several bags of pistachios. They were inspected item by item. Anyone near enough could see the man's belongings. For a society whose traditional Islamic architecture eschews windows in deference to pardes, veils and enclosures, such openness seemed infamous to me. 
I felt humiliated not only because I witnessed it, but more so because I too docilely waited my turn to be thus exposed. My half-empty single piece of luggage did not take long to ransack. I arrived at the ticket counter at about four-thirty in the morning. My confirmed reservation was, of course, no guarantee that I would in fact get a seat on the plane. There were few flights to Europe operating then, and tickets for such flights were much coveted. Inflation and avarice occasionally drove some airline employees to auction off reserved seats. But I was lucky. With my boarding pass I climbed the few granite steps to a large hall. To the left was a long, white, marble-topped counter staffed by a reluctant sergeant of the city police, and behind him our passports that had been turned over to the airline offices forty-eight hours earlier pigeonholed into alphabetized boxes. Every passenger wrote his or her name on a piece of paper, and if the passport had not been confiscated by some government or paramilitary...